This week's parsha is Parshas Vayera, and Vayera begins our extended introduction to Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu, of course, was the Amun Chesed. He was the pillar of kindness and goodness in the world, and the greatest kindness that Avram Avinu really gave the world was not just merely that he he fed people and he was. Uh, you know, he did certain good deeds and good acts. The greatest chesed that Avraham Avinu left the world, and that's his legacy, is the fact that he gave the world the ability to understand that there's a Rabbi Nishlam in the world. That he brought thousands and tens of thousands, as the Ramam says. Tachas kanfe ashchina, he was megayer them, he was of them, he was he was able to introduce this concept to a world that was dark and full of Avedizara. He was able to introduce in mass to many, many, many thousands of people the fact that there's a Rabbi Shalom in the world, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu manages the world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is micromanaging the world, everything is the Rabbi Shalom. That's something that was a chiddish to the world before Avraham Avinu came and introduced this to them. And that is the greatest act of chesed. What greater chesed can you do to a person and with society at large than to bring them back into the light if they're in the darkness? And the question is, what is the secret to Avraham Avinu's success? We live in a world that, Baruch Hashem, Kirov is very, very popular. Kirov is not just something that's done one at a time. Kirov is done by these organizations, these huge organizations that do such amazing work. We don't have to list them because the list goes on and on, whether it's in Eretz Yisrael or America or wherever. People that deal with teens, people that deal with professionals, people that deal with families as a whole, and Baruch Hashem, we're living in a time of tshuva. We're living in an age of people that are bali tshuva, people that are interested in coming back to their heritage. And so it's very important for us to understand the success of Avraham Avinu, how Avraham Avinu was literally single-handedly able to turn over the entire world and make them into people that are maminim, be makariv them, and if we could figure out Avraham Avinu's success, we could perhaps bottle that and use it ourselves in our efforts to help people and to come back, to bring people back to the fold. So I think that there's two main this that Avraham Avinu did that really was ensuring success. The first thing that Avraham Avinu did is something that we spoke about this week in Avad on Wednesday night, which is when we learn Rabbi Rucham Sefer Das Torah together. And in the Sefer Das Torah, he brings a Rashi on this week's parsha. By Yisa Misham Avram, Avram used to live near Sedaim, and then one day he picks himself up and he relocates. And Rashi says, "Why did he relocate? Why does the pasuk say that he picked himself up and he moved?" 
Kisharash Kharbu Hakrachim Upasku Aivrim Ashavim Nasalai Misham. When Avram Avinu saw that traffic was slowing down, I don't mean slowing down that there was a, a, a backup in traffic, I mean that there was no traffic because there was no population anymore, because all the people of Sodom and Amira, they all perished, they all were killed. So Avram Avinu surprisingly moves. Now, you know, everybody knows, I think, here that I am, we're busy doing work in the house. I'm commuting every single day from Long Beach. And if you see me coming ever by, by Birgit HaShachar, you should, you know, you should make a Kiddush, because it never happens. If you see me coming by Barco, you should make a Kiddush, because it hardly ever happens by the time. And it's not because I leave at, uh, you know, five minutes before Yeshiva starts. I leave quite early in the morning, and I have to, I have my kids along, I have to bring them to their Yeshivas. But... Everything is going smooth from Long Beach till the Van Wick Expressway, and then the Van Wick comes, and there's a complete standstill. And every day it gets worse and worse. It's not like some days is better. Sunday is the only day that is perfect. But every other day, whether it's Friday, whether it's Memorial Day, Labor Day, whatever it is, it's always traffic. And it's, it's so frustrating because you could sit in that tra- traffic for literally a half an hour, 35 minutes, and that causes everything to be to be delayed and it's not it, it's it's so Abraham Avino was doing something that I think is counterintuitive to most of us because he was looking for traffic everyone else is looking to get away from traffic if you could figure out a, like a ways an app to fix the traffic problem you will be the richest man in the world every day as a matter of fact in traffic I sit and start thinking what can a person do to make there be no traffic and, but Avram Avinu was, was the opposite. Avram Avinu should have been sort of, you know, if Sadaim Amaira, okay, great, there's no more traffic. Avram Avinu was upset about that. Avram Avinu says, if there's no traffic anymore, then I gotta find somewhere else to move. Why? Why would Avram Avinu do that? So the Sepharno says, this is all of Yerucham, that the reason why he moved, and he moved between two great cities, is kedei likre sham b'shem Hashem kelaylam, because he wanted one thing in life, Avraham Avinu. He wanted to spread the name of the Rebbeinu Shlom to as many human beings as he could find. If he's sitting in a place that's desolate, if he's sitting in a place that's that he's all alone, that's not going to succeed. He's not going to be able. Today, you know, you could sit in your basement and you could do a video and it could, you know, you could put it online and it could go viral and you could, you could touch millions of people from the privacy of your own home. Obviously, back then, you couldn't. You have, if you wanted to impress upon people anything, you have to go door to door and speak to people. Sabram Avinu needed human beings. He needed many human beings in order to spread the name of HaKadosh Baruch because he understood that that was his mission. He wanted to be native to the world. He wanted to be mischassig with the world. And to do the greatest acts of chesed to as many people as possible, Avraham Avinu needed to actually pick himself up from the area surrounding Sadaim where there was nobody anymore and move to a very, very populated place that was teeming with individuals, teeming with Eide just so that he could have the maximum exposure to them, so that he could deal with them, he could express to them the truths 
of Akrishpachu, of Amunah, of Bitochen, of all of these were his mission in life, and he needed people for that. So Abraham Avinu, being very wise, he said, I have to pick myself up to a city called Gerar, Ben Kadesh, Ben Bara, between huge cities, and that's where he pitched his tent, and that's where he set up shop. Agav, Rabbi Rucham, says a very, very big aside that what we see from Abraham Avinu, and this is, I think, the first principle that we're taking today and how to succeed in, in Kirov, how to succeed really in anything, Rukhniyistik, is that Abraham Avinu considered Kirov and considered his Avaidah in life not to be a hobby, not to be like a, a sideline thing, a thing that you know he moonlighted as when he had time, he did Kirov, but really he was, a, he, was, he was a professional and he just did this on weekends. Abraham Avinu looked at his mission of being Makare people, of bringing people Lavim Shabashanayim, he did this as a business. Now, don't misunderstand that when somebody says he's doing it as a business, right away you get in your mind that he's trying to make a buck on it. That's how we think. Oh, it's a business firm. Well, that's not what I mean, obviously. I don't mean that he did it to make money. He didn't make a cent. He, 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 he spent millions of dollars on this business. But what I mean is that you could treat something very casually and like you could dabble in something or you could do it legit. You could do it corporate. You could do it real. And if you... And it's just the difference between the first choice or the second choice is the difference between Shemaim and Aretz. A lot of people, just for, for instance, they're into Shidduchim. They want to, you know, it's a big mitzvah, it's a huge thing. The Marshah says on, on, the, on, the, on the Gemara that says that one of the things they're going to ask you uh, when you get up to Shemaim after you die is a Sakta B'Piria Berivya. Were you Isaac in Piria Berivya? Pashasa means, you know, did you try to have children? But the Marsha says it really means more. It means, were you Isaac and enabling others to have children? Were you, I think the Lashon of the Marsha was, were you, were you metapo with the assignment al manis? Were you working to, in the old days, you know, who, who arranged children should and their parents? So if you put a Yasim and a Yisayma, they don't have parents to, to arrange Shidduchim for them. So did you go and make it your business to take a Yasim and take a Yisayma and match them together or, or whatever, or be a representative on behalf of a Yasim on behalf of a Yisayma? Did you do that? That's what's going to be asked of us in Shemaim. So it's a very, very, it's not a small thing to be a Shadchan. But there's two ways of being a Shadchan. There is a way, one way is to dabble in Shadchan. I dabble, that's like the word that, that's always associated with Shadchan. Do you, are you, do you make Shadchan? I dabble in it. I'm guilty, I use that word also a lot. Because when you say the word dabble, there's much less pressure on you. You know, then you don't have to like, you don't have to like really take it too seriously. You don't have to get back to people. It's like a casual, leisurely sport that I do. I dabble in it. And then, so if I find somebody for if I think of somebody for you, fine, otherwise leave me alone. That's basically what the word dabble means. But dabbling in Shidochem, it's better than not doing anything with it, but it's not really the way to do it. It's, it's, you never hear a lawyer say, I dabble in law. You don't see, they take it seriously. This is their livelihood. This is what they do. 
And a person that, it's just a matter of like, there are certain people that really take it more seriously than others. And they don't just dabble in Shaduchim, they actually, they, you know, they buy up a, a book or a computer program and they find boys and girls and they try to mix and match and go to Shaduch meetings and conventions and this, ex- maximize their exposure, really take it seriously. Now, it doesn't mean that their success rate is, is necessarily bigger, but it probably is. Because when you do something real, when you do something really in the way that it should be, when you treat something not like schlocky, you don't do it like, ah, you know, who cares? But you actually invest your time and your organizational skills and your, your full emotional investment in it, then success is much more at hand than just dabbling in something. I dabble in Kirov. I mean, you dab once in a while, you know, once a year on the Shabbos project, everybody has to, it's like, you know, all of a sudden you're like scrambling to find somebody you can invite, some person, you know, you, you take anyone. Like just, you know, uh, you know, like I remember one year I was trying to find when the Shabbos project, the first year it was, and it was like a big deal. Now it's already jaded. Everybody doesn't, you know, I don't think people are as into it anymore. But, um... So, you know, but that first year, everybody was told, oh, the Shabbos project this year, we have to invite people that are not from and bring them into the house. And I was like, I don't know so many people that are not from. It's not a good thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. I, so, like, I was, I was going to a bagel store. I was, like, trying to find, it was like Arab Shabbos. Like, I was trying to find anybody so I, I wouldn't be embarrassed to say I, don't, I couldn't find anybody. I talked to couldn't find anybody. They didn't want to come to my house. They were already invited 20, to 20 other people's houses. But... That, and then what happens the week after the Shabbos Pride? Nothing. You don't, there's no follow-up. There's no nothing. You just, you got, you're a yaitza. You dabbled in Kirov. Then there are people that mamish make it their business to be Makarish people. They take, it, they take it seriously. They mean it. They want to really try to find people and make them from, not just invite them for a meal, but have a follow-up and maybe learn with them and arrange to have their children get tutors and and. and I don't know, send them to Israel for an experience there. Like, there are people, really, I know people like this, that they really treat it legit, they, they're really into it. And that's the only way you could be, really, to succeed in life in any of these things. The same thing is true for any Dvaram Ruchnim. Don't say, well, business is business, and this is fiery, let's keep it, like, fluffy. If you want to succeed in anything Ruchniistic, you have to treat it the same way you treat a business. Treat a business, oh, I have to buy a computer and I have to buy, you know, make a, get a desk and, and be organized and, and reach out to people and spend, you know, 100 hours a day and, you know, really be into it and, and plan and plot. That's you have to do everything in Rukhmias also. There's the famous mice I said it over, those people that went to the Wednesday Nevada, it's Chazara, I'm sorry. Um, but... There is a, uh, a famous mice with a gifter. Gifter went to Mexico for fundraising, and he, uh, they told him, go to a certain big gavir who lives in a big mansion, and you're going to hopefully get a nice check from him. So a gifter went at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he knocks on the guy's door, and his wife answers, I'm sorry, my husband's not home. Where is he? Is that work? Oh, so I'll try tomorrow again. So he came the next day at 8 o'clock. Your husband home today? No, he's at work. The next day he came, 7 o'clock. No, he's at work. He'll tell me, when does he come home? I don't know, you could try and come back at night. Comes back the next night, 7 o'clock, not there. 8 o'clock, office. 9 o'clock, office. He says, do me a time. I'm not here forever in Mexico. I want to meet him finally. 
can I go to his office? Let me visit him at work, because apparently that's the only place he is. So they said, fine. They gave him the address. He went until he got into the secretary. It was a whole ASIC. And finally, the secretary opens, allows him in. And he says, Mr. Cohn, Shalom Aleichem. My name is Gifter. I'm from Taos in Cleveland. And you know, here to raise money for the yeshiva. And he speaks about it. He says, but before I get to the business at hand, I said, you have to explain something to me. You're obviously a very successful individual. You have a beautiful mansion and a beautiful big office here. A lot of people are working. But you're never home. You're never home. Why are you never home? Why don't you sleep a little late? Why don't you come home for lunch once in a while, a siesta, go, come home at night, use your swimming pool a little bit, uh, you know, relax in your armchair, enjoy the, the chefs that you have in your kitchen. What do you hear? Your mom is here from, from literally the crack of dawn to the... To, to, like, what are you doing? So, Mr. Cohn tells Rav Gifter, he says, Rabbi Gifter, let me teach you a, a very, very important principle about business. He says, if you want to succeed in business, you have to live in the business. You have to live the business. You can't run a business you can't have a what they call a turnkey business you just like basically open the door and, and, and expect the business to run on its own it's not the way business works you have to eat the business you have to sleep the business you have to think the business you have to run the business you have to be there you have to you have to invest you gotta you gotta you have to be there if you want to succeed in business before gifter you have to live the business I don't have time for sleeping, I don't have time for eating, I don't have time for, for leisurely activities. I have to succeed in business, and I have to live in the business. And a gifter looked at him, and he says, Mr. Cohn, if I had only come to Mexico City to hear this one vart, it would have been kedai. It would have been worthwhile just to come to Mexico City to hear you tell me that. And Mr. Cohn says, why? You're not a businessman. He says, it's true. He says, but every single day, we say in Davening, we say in the Birch HaTayra, Lasek Pedivrei Sayra. What is Lasek Pedivrei Sayra? To be engaged in Tayra, but that's not really a good definition. Lasek really means an Asek. Asek means a business. In order to succeed in Tayra, says Rav Gifter, I learned from you how to run a business. The only way to succeed in Tyra is to live the business of Tyra. If you're learning Tyra and you're learning it, you know, with your feet up and you're like sleeping and you're, you know, it's not important to you, it's not serious and you do it in your, in your, you know, when you have some spare time, that's fine. I mean, you could probably be Yitzhak of Tyra with that, but that's not the way that Tyra was designed to be. Tyra was designed to be learned as an ASIC. It was supposed to be a business. Meaning that you're supposed to live it in such a way that that's all I do. All I want to do is sit and learn. All I want to do is be Isaac and Kirvis Hashem, getting close to Rabbi Yishlam, and I have to make plans for myself. I'm going to learn. I'm going to chazer. I'm going to write Kiddushim. I'm going to learn the Sabrus. I'm going to give a Shir. I'm going to give a Chabura. If a person thinks in terms of his Tyra as a as a business, he's eating it, he's sleeping it, that's Tyra. The person treats Tyra like he does another subject, that when I have to do it, fine, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to do it. 
I have to, like I have to study chemistry and biology, but I don't really have any interest in it. I don't want to. It's not geschmack, and I'm not, I'm not taking it as seriously as I could, and that's not the way Torah was designed to be. Avraham Avinu teaches us that if you want to succeed in Kirov or in anything, Ruchnius, you have to treat it like a business. You have to go to a place that's the most populated place if you're opening up a store. If you're opening up a pizza store, would you open up, and I gave you a choice, either you open a pizza store in Yehopitz, where there's a total Jewish population of, you know, of 50 families, and some of them are lactate intolerant, you're not going to move there, because, you know, there's no business there for me. I can't do it, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, a, what, for who? not going to open a pizza store in, in, in Yehopitz. Where do I want to open up? I want to open up a pizza store with the most, with the place that has the most traffic. I want to open up a gas station. Where do I open a gas station? I open in some back back road on you know uh, off the off Route 17, you know, in in in, in, in some hip town somewhere. You open up a gas station by the Van Wyck Expressway. That's where you open a, a gas station because there's a, a billion cars there, and all those billion cars need gas, they need drinks, they need lotto tickets, they need. That's where I want to open a. Abramovich bil- says. I want to get the most exposure and I need to move to a place that will allow me to do that. I'm treating it like a business. I'm a businessman and I want to treat it like there's nothing wrong with being a businessman. But when you use your business skills for Tyra, that's a mixture that's, that can't fail. It's a different way of looking at things. It takes, it shouldn't, you might think, well, he's taking away the the purity of Tyra by speaking about it this way, but it's not true. This is the way that you have to do it. This is the only way that it works. You have to take it seriously. You have to be organized. You have to be sophisticated. You have to use the best marketing techniques to, to promote your product. And a lot of the Kirov organizations, by the way, get it. You look at the Project Inspire. Like they, they know exactly the logo is just, is just right. And the videos. and the, you know, they, they know exactly what they're doing. This is not by chance. They do these beautiful conventions and Eshatara and Arsameach and NCSY and all of these, you know, Leib Laachim and Yisrael. All these organizations, they know what they're doing. They're not treating it schlocky. They're not doing it like haphazardly in any which way. They're doing it very sophisticated. That's how Avraham Avinu would do it. So that's one surefire way to succeed in Ruchnius. And Befrat, we're talking today about Kirov, but it really applies across the board to Tyra, davening, everything. Everything. But when we speak about people and looking for the maximum traffic, so it makes Abraham Avino, the way I'm presenting it, I guess, until now, looking at, you know, he's looking to preach to, you know, the biggest crowds. And he needs like mass amounts of people and he's going to get up on a podium and speak about the Barashem and people are going to just all go crazy and like, you know, and then he moves to another place and, and inspires many, many more thousands of people. He needs like a MetLife Stadium in order to be Makari people. That's the way I'm making it sound, perhaps. He's looking for the mass market. But that is not the way Avraham Avinu did it either. Yes, you need many bodies, but he didn't look at people like a number, like I need to make millions of people I have, a, I have a friend who's in professional Kirov, and he gets paid. He gets paid by a very wealthy foundation, but it has to be, you have to prove. I mean, they're not stupid. They don't want you to just, like, 
you know, how do you, they go to college campuses, or they go, you know, how, we don't know what you're doing on the college campus all day. How many people are you married? He has to actually show results. He has to show results. He has to show, okay, this year is Makariv, uh, 50 college kids. They're now starting to be Shemesh Shabbos. They need results. So, but numbers are very important. Ramavina wasn't a numbers person. He wasn't looking to get the most numbers. Obviously, he wanted to spread the name of Hashem across the world. But he didn't look at people just as numbers and notches on his belt. He looked at every individual as being important in, in and of themselves, and he tried to work on each person individually, understanding what made them tick, understanding what they, what, why they might not want to be Makabal Hashem and how to undo that, how to, how to change their mind, how to work on them, how to, how to embrace them in a personal way. This was the Kayak of Avraham Avinu. This is the second Yisait of Kirov. Kirov, you have to treat as a business, first of all. You have to really treat it corporate, real. I'm taking it seriously. But the other thing is that you have to also be very personal. It's not a, a cold business. It's a business that you have to treat your customer well. There are certain times you go, certain stores, they, you go and they can't do enough for you stores. And, you know, restaurants, you come back to those places. There are certain people, they just have no interest in you. You know when you come in that you're just a nuisance for them. Just a nuisance. Like, you know, went to a pizza store last night and I was, you know, I wanted to buy my kids some pizza and there was a guy, uh, there was, uh, you know, I was waiting for a guy to, at the cash register to take my order and he was watching some sort of, I guess like a sports game or a movie. He was like on the other side. I had to stand there and wait for him and like, you want to order? I said, yeah, you know. It's fine. And he like gets up and he like, you know, walks to, you know, like he's doing me a favor. That's not a way to run a business. You have to treat people respectfully. You have to love your customer. You have to respect your customer. Avram Avinu understood that his customers are important and he took each one into his own house, literally, and he showed them love and attention and focus. How do I know that this is what Avram Avinu did? Because the Rambam tells us that this is what he did. The Rambam, the famous Rambam in Hukas of in Perak Aleph, Halacha Gimel, uncharacteristically, the Rambam doesn't in Mishnah Zara give us history lessons. But for some reason, he, in Avedizara, he, he veers from his normal minhag of just making, codifying the Halacha. He basically tells a whole history course of how the world, how Avedizara started in the world, what was the fallacy that led people, um, and then how did Avram Avinu change that perception of the world in the world? So Avram Avinu, so Ramam says how he started when he understood that there was a Rabbi Islam in the world, he started spreading this to people, to, to the masses of people, and he would go ear ear, He would go from one city to another and from one kingdom to another. He would go and gather the people at Shigil Eretz Canaan until he finally arrived in Eretz Canaan, and he continued spreading Hashem's name. Okay, now he has so many people. He has literally thousands of people here. What does he do with them? They would ask, after he gave his shear, they would come over to him and ask him. He, normally, like celebrities, they go, they give a rock concert. 
uh, you know, thousands of people. What do they do after? You think they stand around afterwards? They schmooze with people. They're at the stage door in their limo. They're gone. They don't want anything to do with their fans. They just they have to, you know, presidents. You're running for election. Thousands of people afterwards get me out of here. Avram Avinu spread the name of Hashem to many, many thousands of people. But afterwards, people came over to him and asked him about all the particulars that he spoke. And he said, the Ramam writes, He would go and he would spend time with each individual person according to their level, according to their knowledge, according to their understanding. Until he successfully brought people to the road of truth. And as a result of this, says the Raman, he was able to succeed. The Raman didn't say this until then. Until now, until once he says that he was able to speak to every single individual of Fidaite, then he was able to really be Makar people. Speaking to auditorium, speaking to Colosseum, that's that doesn't always do the trick. But what always does the trick is when you speak to somebody personally, invite them to your house, and you give them some sholand and some zmiris and some love. That does the trick every time. Every time it's tried. And he says, this is the Anche Beis Avram, these thousands of people. The Shasal Bolivam, the Rabbim ends, he planted in their heart Ha'ikra Gadoazeh. And so we see from this Ramam is that Avram Avinu didn't just he didn't just speak about people wholesale. It wasn't wholesale Kirov that I'm dealing with people, masses of people as numbers, but Avram Avinu spent time individually with each person until he understood them and until they understood him. I think that's the shot in the Pasuk that Avram Avinu took as a nefesh Asher Asu Bukharan and Rashi says that Avram was Magayar the Anoshim, so was Magaris the Noshim. Why does it say Nefesh? Should it say the Nefash Asher Asu Bukharan? I think the Pshad is that he didn't do it as Nefashis. He did it, how was he Makarbibal as a Nefesh? One Nefesh at a time. One individual, you take one person, you speak to their heart until it sticks, and even after it sticks, you, there's follow up. A lot of people are very good with Kirov or Makari people, and then once they sort of become from, you think, okay, they're fine, you go on to the next guy. And of course, there's limited time in the day, so you don't have much of a choice, but it's important to have follow-up. You can't just drop people when you're working on them. You have to make sure that they stay religious and they stay from. I found a similar vart. I think it's really the same vart in the Ksav Seifer. The Ksav Seifer writes, that there's a medrash that says, Aches Kitana, a young sister. It's a lashon of a Pasuk in Shirashirim, Aches Kitana. And the medrash says, Avram. Avram is, the, is what the Pasuk means when it says, Aches Kitana. Why? Because Sheicha is called Bay Eilam. He sewed together. Icha means to sew together. He knitted together, called Bay Eilam. All the people of the world united. Like a person that has a torn baguette and he has to, he has to sew it up. That's what Avraham Avinu did. He made a quilt of the entire world sewing piece by piece together. So the Ksav says, what does this mean? She'icha is what? We're waxing poetic. She'icha is 
he was ma'achah, but that's the only way that you could describe Aram Avinu's activities is that he was like a tailor that was sewing up ripped for Godim. So the, the Ksavsevis is a beautiful part. He says, when a tailor makes a suit, let's say, so you have material and it's cut to size and you just have to stitch, there's no seichel involved. You just have to, basically, you have to be like, a, you know, you could do it on an assembly line. Just This is how you make a pair of pants, this is how you make a jacket. They're not making a jacket unless it's a custom-made suit. They're not, I mean, it's, it's, it's just basically, it's all, it's all uh, you know, it's done just one after another. It's without any safety. You don't need to think. They don't want you to think. They just want you to sew. When a person is a tailor and somebody comes in and says, oh, you know, I was just playing a game of basketball or baseball and I, and I tore my pants, but it's not on the seam. It's like in the middle of the pants. What can you do? Can you fix it? Remember once I bought a raincoat, a very expensive ring. My father bought me expensive, my parents bought me expensive raincoat. And like the first day that I bought it, that I wore it, I, there was like a nail sticking out of the wall. And, you know, it's one thing if you, you wore it for a year already. It's still a bother, but like the first day, and it's like I, there was like a, a rip, and I was so upset about it. So I took it to a tailor, and he, you know, he, he did the best he could. But it was like right in the most obvious place. But a tailor's job, when it's dealing, when dealing with these types of issues, it's very difficult. Because it's, no, it's not a one-side, you don't like, you can't look up on, online, you know, how to fix a rip. You have to use your seichel, like maybe you have to take a, a patch of material from somewhere else and put it on top, or maybe you have to, you know, cut it, make it a little bit less jagged and, and try to make it smoother, or, or, I don't know, I'm not a tailor, but, there's, but each, each rip, you have to be mechadish something. It involves thinking and planning, and okay, I have to do it this way, this is probably the best way to you know, to, to, to sew it, and I have to sew it from under so it doesn't stick out, and I have to make sure that it's not creased or that it's on a crease. It takes seichel, it takes forethought, it takes planning. Avraham Avino was ma'acha the crime. When he was taking people, says Iksav from being makar of them, it wasn't a one-size-fits-all proposition to Avraham Avino. It wasn't that Avraham Avino, I know how to be makar of people. He just tell them, amichem and you tell them uh, some philosophy, and you tell them a nice, uh, a nice cute story, and, and make them cry, and then they're all, they're just going to eat at it. It's not the way it works. If I'm going to have to speak to each person, and say, aha, uh-huh, this person has a problem because, you know, theologically he feels that the Rabbani Shalom is angry with him. Okay, so we have to work on that angle for him. Another person had a, had a rough childhood, and he didn't experience such great things, so I need to give him more love. That's how I'm going to be Makarovim. And this person has, a, has an issue with his, uh, you know, with his parents and with his friends, and he has social issues, medical. I got it. Abraham Avinu was ma'acha the crumb. Every single person was like a tear that came that he had to fix, he had to repair, he had to understand each individual soul, where the tear is in their heart and their life, and say, okay, this is how I'm going to fix it. And only once he did that was he satisfied that he did his job. That's Kirov. That's real Kirov. Kirov is understanding the individual. And there's no greater personality to bring when you're speaking about Kirov than Shlomo Freitag. Shlomo Freitag was one of the great pioneers of, of Kirov. And he was Rashiva and Shoyashiv in Farakwe. And I always plug the book. I didn't write it, but it was, uh, I wish I had. It's an amazing sefer about his life called Rav Shlema. And it's very kedai to read, whatever, whatever field you want to go into, if it's Rabbanah, if it's Kirov, 
or whatever. He's, he's just unbelievable. Very, very inspirational book. And one of the stories there was, was the most amazing story probably I've ever heard in my life. And there was a, a boy that grew up sort of in a religious home and he was totally not into it. Totally not buying into Yiddishkeit and buying into... And he was, he was not interested. And he was like flunking out of school and one school to another school. It was a disaster. One thing he was interested in was the American Indians. American Indians. He had a fascination with American Indians and all he wanted to do was become an Indian. He loved the teepee, he loved the feathers and the, you know, eh, the whole nine yards. That's what he wanted. So he basically went off the derrick, literally, and he, he went to Wyoming or Dakota, wherever these Indians live on their reservations. And um, he, he went to join one of these tribes. And he was living there. He's mamish living his dream. He was uh, in, the, in the teepees and, and smoking the peace pipes. And he was really, this was his Elam Haba. And then, you know, after a while, he finally was Zaycha to speak to, like, the, you know, the Maradasra of this, of the tribe, like the chief of the tribe. There wasn't a man who was, happened to be a woman. I didn't either know that women could be the head of the tribe, but uh, that's the way it is. And he went into her tent and her teepee and um, her wigwam, whatever it's called. And uh, we only know a wig wash. That's, that's what Jews know. But uh, it costs $50 a shopping. Um, but wigwam, and, and they, they were schmoozing. And he says, you know, she starts speaking to him. She says, like, you know, what's your story? Where are you from? He's from Brooklyn. So she says, that's interesting. So, you know, what are you doing here? He says, well, I, I love American Indians, and it's, it was my dream come true. I'm living the life over here. It's amazing. So she says, what's your, how are you, you, you know, what's your religion? Where, where, where were you born? I mean, where, meaning, which religion were you born into? He says, eh, I'm born Jewish. And all of a sudden, like, her eyes light up, and she says to him, she says, are you crazy? says, you come from the man on the rock. That's how they, you know, that's how they call Meish uh, Rabbein, I guess, the man on the rock. And, and, and you're coming here to Dakota to, you know, to, to be with us. You have like the most major religion in the world. You come from the man on the rock. And, and, uh, and this is what you, uh, you know, this is, you're coming here? What are you, what are you, what are you busy with this for? It's nonsense compared to what you had. He says, Really? Yeah, go back home. Go back to Brooklyn. So he was Macabre Eitzah, and he heads back home, and he says, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I threw it away too quickly. Is there anyone that I'd be able to go to that could talk to me and deal with me, and maybe, you know, I could come back and learn a little bit about my heritage? So he asked somebody, he said, go to Rabbi Freifeld for Akwa. So he goes to Rabbi Freifeld, and they have a meeting, and Reb Shlema speaks to him a short, short amount of time. He tells him basically the Rashi Prakim, the, the main point of his life. He didn't have enough time to speak to him longer at the time. But he accepted him right away, sight unseen into the yeshiva. And, you know, no problem. You're in yeshiva. Unpack your bags. Go in the dorm. Come to the base medrash. And then a few days later, he calls him into his office for a, for a longer talk. And... Rafael is schmoozing with him and having a very enjoyable conversation. He was a very warm, 
endearing personality, Rabbi Freifeld. And Rabbi Freifeld got a phone call and he had to take it in another room. It was a private matter. And it was taking five minutes, ten minutes. This boy was getting all antsy. So he started getting up and he started looking around Rabbi Freifeld's office. And he's looking at the different sarum on the shelves, looking at the different pictures on the wall. And all of a sudden he notices, like out of the corner of his eye, that behind his desk on the floor there are books. And he was surprised because he remembers that you're not supposed to put sarum on the floor. And it's so strange. Why would it, you know, put it on a table, put it on a, on a shtender or something. Why, why, why does he have sarum on the floor? So he bends down himself. And maybe they fell. He noticed that he bends down and he picks up a bunch of sarum. But it wasn't sarum. It was books, regular English books. And what were the books about? One book was the American Indians. One book was the, the Sioux Indian tribe. And one was about the heart, the, you know, the art of weaving, Indian style. Rabbi Freifeld went to the library when he, this boy came to Yeshiva and he understood that this boy, in order to unlock the key to this boy's existence, he had to really fully understand what makes him tick. And if he has a fascination with American Indians, there must be something that I have to understand about the American Indian to be able to get to his heart to be able to understand him. Rabbi Freifeld, I'm sure, did not have much time in his day. He had many dozens, maybe hundreds of others, Talmudim at the time, to deal with, to work with, to learn with, to give shir, to fundraise. He was a busy man. He had his own family. I promise you, he did not have the time to just leisurely go to the library and take out books about American Indians. But he made the time because he understood that in order for me to succeed, I have to learn how to be ma'acha the crime. I have to learn how to see a tear and fix that tear. And if I can't do that, then I'm not in the kira business. It's not for me. Kira involves not just I'm giving a schmooze to many people, inspirational, and then leave. And have no shayfas with individual boys. Or Freifel, by the way, used to have on his on his wall, I don't know if it was in his house, or it was in his office, it was a framed key. It took like a key, like one of these fancy keys, I guess, you know, like a skeleton lock key, and he put it in a frame, and it was on a, on a background, and he had it on, on the wall, so it was like facing his desk. So if, I, if this was a Freifel's desk, and he's sitting here, the key would be like behind, on the, like facing him directly. And he used to explain to people that when he's talking to people to be makar of them or to deal with their marriage crisis or to deal with their parnas issues, whatever he was doing all day, he looked at that key from time to time and he understood then that I have to figure out a way to unlock this person. If I'm just spacing out and just thinking about other things and you know giving a, a standard answer... And this is what I say to people that are having problems in marriage. This is what I say to people that aren't from. This is what I say to people that are, are not Shem Shabbos. It's not going to work. There's a, some, there's a lock on the person's heart that's not allowing him to do, or, or, or her, do something. It's not allowing them to get married. It's not allowing them to, to succeed in business. It's not allowing them to, uh, to have Shalom. Whatever it is, there's something that's a lock that's not enabling them to do it. And I have a a feeling that if I could only find the key to unlocking that, that lock, I could open their heart and I can get right in and I can do what I need to do. 
It's like surgery. It's like basically surgery. When you have somebody, if you're spaced out during surgery, it's not going to work. You're going to kill the person. And when it comes to kirov, it's the same thing, or kirov, or etzis, or adracha, or abonus, or chinuch, or whatever you're doing in life, you have to figure out what's the key over here. What's the key to unlocking the other person? What's bothering the person? What makes the person unable to make that commitment to do X, Y, or Z? And once you can get to the heart of the matter, then you could open up doors that will open up the world for them. And that was Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, Aches Kitana, he was, the, he was the person that was able best to figure out the individual, what the individual's needs are, and to then enter that door and unlock everything so that they're able to enter Tachas Khan Teshkina. That was the nefesh, Asher And every person looked at it as a nefesh, and it's my job to nurture that nefesh, to water that nefesh, to to watch the nefesh thrive and to grow. And that's what Avraham Avinu did with his life. These are the two secrets to the success of Avraham Avinu, and this is, I think, what it takes. I think it's, it's, it's Pashat, that this is what it takes to be successful in, 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 in Yanam Ruchnian and Kira Bifrat, or Chinuch. Today, it's not really Kira. When I speak about Kira, people get nervous, like... Kira, what does mean? I have to now, I, I don't have enough time as it is. I have to now leave yeshiva and go out and run to, you know, to public schools and, 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 and conventions and, and places to Makari people that are not from Brooklyn. Today, you could do that, and many people do, to their great credit, but today there's also Kira of Kraven, we call it. Kira of Kraven means that there are people that are covered. You don't have to, you don't have to leave the, the, the Dalit Kaisler based Madrash. Or at least maybe you do, but maybe, but you don't have to leave the, the campus, I should say. People in this room, I think, are, you know, I know, are, are fine. But, Kira Craven. There are guys that come over to me all the time and say that they have a lot of issues with, with Yiddishkeit, and they have a lot of issues with God, and they have issues with, you know, rabbis, and they have issues with parents, and that, you know, there's a lot of, there's, a, there's no shortage of problems. There's no shortage of problems at all. There's like, you know, I have a Talmud who, who's a, uh, he just became a social worker and he lives in Lakewood. He says, you know, he says, I'm swamped. It's not just Lakewood, it's every community. But he thinks, oh, Lakewood is like, you know, you're being yourselves, you're out there. It's like, you know, there's every individual, ain't bias ashamed from mace. Every family from Bentaira, it doesn't matter. Everybody has issues. Everybody has cares in their heart. And it's our job in life to empower them. And not by giving canned answers to, to questions, but uh, really trying to unlock their heart, unlocking what their issue is. How are we going to deal with this person? What does he need? What, is, what does he need? He needs a hug. He needs a meal. He needs a chavrusa shot. He needs a tutor. He needs a, he needs a father figure. He needs a brother figure. He needs a, he needs a friend. We have to be there for that person. That's our job. So we have to treat it like a business. We have to do it professionally. We have to actually make a concerted effort to, to help other people, whether they're in yeshiva, outside of yeshiva, people in the community, or people that are neighbors that are not from, try our best to, to, to warm them up and to bring them in, in a real way, not dabbling, but really doing it professionally in a certain sense. And at the same time, we have to 
do it one person at a time. Being ma'ache, one care at a time, one rip after another tear, with love, with attention, with focus, with thinking outside the box. And sometimes it takes a lot of time to do this, and we don't have so much time. But it's such a worthwhile endeavor. When we spend the time to help other people, it, it comes back in spades. You help people, you turn a person's life around, you help them get married and get a job and feel good about themselves. And they have children and grandchildren. You know, I, I just got a call the other day from a Talmud in, in the Midwest who I made a shidduch for. And, you know, he told me, uh, you know, Mazel Tov, you, had, you know, you got another grandchild. I said, no, I'm too, I'm too young to have grandchildren. What do you mean? He says, no, no, you were Meshadith me. You found me my shidduch and I had a baby. Second girl. You're, you're the grandfather. And it's true. It's not, uh, what did I do? I mean, I matched up a boy and a girl, but it's loyal mayad. This, this new girl is going to have children of her own in Mitzvah And grandchildren, and that will always be on my freshman. And that's an amazing thing. When you're Makar of somebody, people that are Makar people, and, you know, like people that really do it right, like, uh, you know, Nayef Weinberg, and Rameya Schuster, who used to work at the Kaisal every day, and, you know, people, you know, there are people that really did amazing things in their life. They were Makai of hundreds, maybe thousands of people, maybe more. All those people had families, and they had children and grandchildren that are all, all from because of them. You, can you imagine this chosen? The speaks about this in terms of why it's so important to be Makari people because of the, the crazy math that starts happening throughout the generations. The more people that you're Makari and the multiples that, that come out from, from you. It's something that, it's, it's the most worthwhile investment that you could ever make. And this is one of the major, you say this, Avram, the Chesed Avram, the Chesed Avram did by being Makari people, taking people that were Neanderthals spiritually and bringing them making them enlightened, making them see that there's a Rabbi Nishayon, bringing him in, them into his tent, giving them what to eat, to drink, and then telling them, now make a bracha to the Rabbi Nishayon who gave us this food. One person at a time with love, with attention, with tenderness, with seichel. That's the site of the Chesed Abram. And the more that we're able to engage in such chesed, the more that we should be zeiche ourselves to be blessed with zara shal kayama banu nebanim aiskim batayr v'mitzvah. Have a good Shabbos.